once a few universities in the country um, find the value in Unibuddy and it makes a big difference to them, um, you often benefit from that word of mouth and that network effect, um, which which is really great. So in a, in a way, um, you know, you know, it's it, it's an old saying: word of mouth is, is the best form of marketing, and, and it's very very strong in the higher education sector. How do you know what the potential university of your choice is like if you can't go and visit it? That's the challenge that Commercial and his co-founding team at Unibuddy are trying to solve. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some tech news and opinion. Joining me on Tech Talks today is Hayley. How are you? Hello. Very good for a Monday. <laughs> I had the life scared out of me this morning. Why? I was sitting here on a call and all of a sudden there was a bang at the window, which is about three metres in front of me, right? And no word of a lie, if you go check my Instagram story after we're finished recording, a hawk flew into the window with a pigeon that it had caught. Proof that I've moved to the countryside, literally, I went to the window and I took a great video of this hawk on top of a pigeon plucking it and then off it went with it. Oh, countryside problems. You didn't get that in London, did you? <laughs> did not get hawks catching and flying, careering into my window with pigeons. No. I was quite surprised. I didn't realise that a hawk would take down a pigeon. No, I'd be mortified. It was about the same size, but it yeah had it. <laughs> Done. Gone. Rest in peace, pigeon. I felt very... Well, it was quite funny. My wife was like, should we go help the pigeon? I think it's probably had it. <laughs> yeah, I think let's just let nature do its, do its thing now. Oh, yeah. poor I, I think it would pro- probably be crueler to stop the hawk killing it and leave the pigeon in a fairly mangled state having careered into the window. Agreed. Oh, God. Mm. Mm. Now I need to look at window cleaners. Happy Monday. <laughs> what a start to the week. Oh, dear. The things that you don't know when you move somewhere new. <laughs> exactly. Which actually is quite a nice link into today's interview, thinking about it, because oh. Unibody help you find out what you don't know before you potentially move somewhere new. Kind of a link. Love it. Today I'm talking to Commercian from Unibody, the CTO co-founder of Unibody. Um, Forbes 30 under 30 as well. So look, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the the podcast. Thanks for, for making some time. Thanks, David. Uh, Looking forward to it. Look, very, very quick one. Uh, Unibody have been around for about three or four years now, maybe four years as a business and three years as, as, as a kind of a product that's live on the market. Is that right? Yeah, so our our current uh, product um, in its initial form, we we launched around early early 2017. So it's it's been just over just over three years now um, where yep. this has been in the market. And for anyone who's not familiar with Unibody, um, and I suspect if you haven't been to university in the last few years or you don't work in higher education – Maybe that's a, 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 a large number of our of our listeners, although perhaps they've got kids going to university. Who knows? Um, but just explain what the product is. Yeah, sure. So um, perhaps taking a step back, um, our, our mission at, at Unibody is to, is, is to ensure that nobody has to make an important decision in their life alone. So we, we believe in, in, in human-centered decision-making and learning from your peers and shared experiences to make better decisions. And the first decision most people make in their life is, is when they're 17, 18 years old, and which is 
what do I do in my life um, after school? Uh, you know, should I study? Uh, what should I study? Where should I study? And and that's why we're starting with students. Um, we, we're starting with students to to connect them with with their peers and with students who are already in university and have already made those decisions so that they can actually learn from those shared experiences and make um, make more informed decisions uh, about their choice. And uh, and we believe if if prospective students can make more informed decisions, they're more likely to to live out to their full potential and mm. and really uh, and really make them the most of their of their life as well. You mentioned there, kind of seventeen, eighteen, that pivotal stage when someone's trying to work out what to do. Quite frankly, I had no idea. But from the age of thirteen, you were teaching yourself how to code uh, to code in Python, right? So. You had a strong sense of what it was you wanted to do, but I suppose where to do that is a separate question again. Yes, yes, exactly. I feel when when you're a kid, you just try out as many things as possible and you experiment and you explore. And then eventually something sticks and and, 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 and you think, I, I like doing this. Um, but, but not everyone gets to, gets to discover that um, early on as well. So... Um, the what what really helps is is being able to speak to people who are doing different things because you might not have the mm. time to try out different things so that's where that's where it, it really helps to be able to to speak to a student that is studying x y or z and you can actually figure out from there whether this is something that that you're more inclined to so look you you went to study um so like let's give some background to people actually you're from south africa you came to the uk to study your masters in computer science at ucl why did you choose ucl and when you were choosing ucl you know what questions did you have was it was it purely academic or, or were you know i'm assuming because of the product that you've built that you were interested in what it was like to be there yes yes it it, it was quite strategic uh, so i i was looking at I believe it's really important where you are, um, in, because you're you're influenced by by that ecosystem and the the network around you. So I I, I love building stuff, and I wanted to be in a in a in a tech hub um, or, or a startup hub. And the two biggest tech hubs in the world are Silicon Valley and London. Um, and I, I I looked at Silicon Valley and um, universities in the US are. Um, well, much, much more expensive. And also um, there, it, it felt much further away um, from, from home and culturally very different as well. Um, so the, the next place I looked, I looked was, was London. Um, and that's where um, I, I started looking at universities in London and, and UCL. Um, I, I liked the history of it. I liked the program that they had and um, I, I applied to it. Um, I didn't manage to speak to to too many people who went to it to it because Unibody didn't exist at the time, and that's why I could really relate to to the kind of the problem um, that 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 we're solving. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was quite strategic based on where I wanted to be rather than um, the actual university, actually. And and that's actually an important consideration that a lot of students um, also take is 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 the city they're in or the country they're in, um, sometimes more so than the university as well. And I suppose right now, 
where you can't like when I when I was choosing which university to go to, I went and visited a whole bunch. Obviously, that's not something that people can do right now. So, I would assume that yes, on the one hand, maybe a lot of students are deciding to defer their education until the pandemic is over. But those that are going have no alternative but to to really seek out uh, information online. It's it's interesting because we we were actually helping a lot of international students who couldn't visit a university anyway, even before the pandemic. But now that seems to be the norm, where even even prospective students in the same country can't really visit because of the pandemic and and travel restrictions, etc. So it it feels like it's just accelerated the need to be able to to find out about universities um, without actually going there and and seeing it, but but through speaking to people and speaking to students. So. The first iteration that you built was a was a marketplace, effectively, for prospective students to talk and pay to to existing students. You quickly realised that didn't quite work, so you you took the approach of embedding the product, um, and you've gone from giving that product as a free trial to five universities to this point today, where you've got four hundred universities across thirty five countries signed up, um, which is fantastic achievement in the, in the in the time that we're talking about how have you been able to scale that product though because that is a that is a huge amount of growth in a short period of time in a lot of different cultures and different languages and so on yes yes de- definitely P- people are often surprised by by how quickly unibuddy has has has, has entered the higher education sector um I, I would say one one thing that has helped a lot is that we we, we we build a product that that connects people. Um, so when we're connecting prospective students to current students, the value is is, is that connection. So it it scales much better across cultures and across countries because it's because the human connection is everywhere and um, conversations is everywhere and. We we aren't trying to to adapt a a kind of a content product or a certain kind of information or to 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 to, to, to different countries. So 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 what we find is that is that Unibody has been able to um, go to to large universities with over a hundred thousand students, um, like huge state universities in the U.S., uh, all the way to to very boutique kind of graphics design schools uh, or or art schools. And it works across the board um, because it, it isn't trying to, um, to 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 do something beyond um, connecting those that really need information to those that have the best and most relevant information in that. So the first thing is that human connection is universal and that's why it's scaled. And the second way that we've been able to scale is that um, the higher education industry is is actually quite small, especially on, on a country level. So um, people in the industry, especially in student recruitment and marketing, they tend to know each other. They go to the same conferences. Um, they 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 go to the same networking events. So we once once you once a few universities in the country um, find the value in Unibody and it makes a big difference to them. Um, you often benefit from that word of mouth and that network effect, um, which which is really great. So in a, in a way, 
um, you know, you know, it's it, it's an old saying: word of mouth is is the best form of marketing, and, and it's very very strong in the higher education sector. Um, that um, universities will share best practices with their peers, and they will talk about it. And mm. that's how we grew, especially in the UK where we started. And now we're try- we're starting to see that effect in the US as well. As as we mentioned, the initial uh, iteration of this was born whilst you were still a student um and you are forbes 30 under 30 so this is the only job you've ever had and you're a cto and you're a first time cto um with that must come some challenges right because before we hit record you were very keen to kind of uh emphasize the choices around the roles of squads and why you've chosen microservices as a first-time CTO and never having worked anywhere else, how have you been able to decide what the best route forward is for your business? What kind of communities have you plugged into and expertise to work out, well, hang on a minute, if we're scaling and we're building products, yes, all right, you're self-taught from the age of 13, but it's a pretty different thing, right, when you've got a team of 100 people in, in, in numerous different countries with the demands of clients to know how best to build the product. Yes, it's 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 a great question, and it's it it might feel irrelevant, but I I, I would I would start with with kind of describing um, something called complex adaptive systems, um, and you know in in complex adaptive systems the theory is that if you're trying to make a decision um, about what to do. There isn't a clear best practice or or proven way to arrive at the best decision uh, because the system is so complex. So uh, you can't really get get an expert or a consultant and be like, "Hey, tell us what to do," and they're going to tell you tell you what to do, and it's gonna it's gonna be the perfect perfectly right decision. Um, the reason for that is because we don't understand the system. Um, it it is new. It is complex. There is a lot of uncertainty. And, um, and and there isn't a proven uh, best practice to making these decisions, and and that's what a startup is as well. When 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 you're working on a product that doesn't exist yet, um, there isn't an existing product in the market. Um, you're working with institutions that are that are changing very quickly. The world's changing very quickly. Um, there isn't a formula or, or or a playbook that that you can kind of copy and paste. So. I feel that while it is definitely more difficult um, when you're doing it for the first time, um, it, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you can kind of just um, there's there's a silver bullet to solve that, and and you can just speak to someone who's done it before um, to get the right answer. And the only way to to kind of make the right decision in, is a com- in a complex data system is to experiment. So experimentation is the only right answer, and that is trying something and very quickly seeing what works and measuring the result, and then iterating and trying something else from there. And and that's what that's what we've done, and and that's what I've always tried to do. So at different stages, at different team sizes, um, based on different business requirements or customer requirements. Um, it's it's trying to work in different ways, um, surrounding sur- surrounding myself and the team with with outside expertise as well, and um, getting in their input. Um, but you they 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 will only ever make recommendations, and then you've got to try it out and see if it works for you. So 
what we've always done is experiment and constantly look to 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 improve and iterate on things um, because there isn't there isn't a a playbook that you can copy and paste and it, and it's just going to work for you. What works for one company won't work for another because you you have different products, different industries, different kinds of customers, different nuances, um, and and a hundred different variables that make it uh, a complex system. Look, we touched on on coronavirus and the impact of the pandemic briefly earlier. Um, I know looking at some of the research that we were sent prior to this interview that, that there's been a massive impact in the business on, in, in a form of online events. They've increased by what, one and a half thousand percent. I'd imagine that there is a lot of suggestion and possibly requests coming through from your clients on how the platform might be used given the environment that we now find ourselves in. How tricky is it as a CTO to not get excited when a client's going, hey, could we do X, Y, or Z, but stay true to what the product is that you're trying to build and not get steered off course, possibly by low-hanging fruit? Yes, it, it is very tricky. And earlier on, it's very easy to to have a knee-jerk reaction, which is when a, when a customer wants X, you kind of stop what you're doing and go build it. Um, which works fine when you have five customers or, or 10 customers. Um, but when you have 400, you, you, you won't achieve anything if, if you do that. So it's, it's a combination of two things. One is having a clear product vision, um, which is where you want to go and what you want to build um, over the next couple of years at least. And it's, it's sticking to that in general, but allocating a percentage of resources to respond to customer requests and prioritizing that based on the number of customers that want it um, and ensuring that, you know, there is that 20, 30 percent of engineering resource that's able to to work on those smaller, more iterative feature requests. Um, but that there's also a significant amount of resources working on building those new products and that product vision that you're aiming to build to solve more big problems for for, 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 for customers. because. Customers will often um, often request features at the more micro scale or these little incremental improvements, but they will rarely come to you with a big new product um, to solve a, a new problem, um, and 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 that that really needs to come from you and your product team and and your, and your product vision. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Obviously, edtech at the minute is an area that's uh, that is in need of of help and support. Uh, students are in need of help and support of, of, of services that connect them and make them feel less alone at this current time. Um, I know that you've uh, going through or maybe just completed a, a, another fundraise. So I hope that has either gone well or goes well. Good luck. Uh, but thank you very much for your time today. All right. Yes, it, it is still going on. And I, w- I, will, I will update you as soon as we, we, we close it. But thank you very much, David. Really enjoyed it as well. Right. Okay. So. Actually, I don't know whether you went to university or not, you know. I didn't go to university, but I did really like this concept. Go on. I really liked it because I thought, although I didn't go to uni, I think it's a great idea. And I just like how it could actually eventually go into other things. So imagine if they had this sort of service for all businesses on like Glassdoor for companies. Mm -hmm. So people could like speak to people in in departments. In that business. There was like a designated person that, that was the person to speak to in in like maybe um 
like teams or whatever uh, and you could like send messages because like say if you are moving jobs and you've, you're kind of thinking oh I wonder if they do that there and all this it's good to know um yeah so I, I did think that I thought oh when you're moving moving thinking of moving roles or you're having interviews in a company and you kind of want to know a bit more and having mm. someone to speak to so yeah that's yeah, how well, I could relate or not even in a professional capacity, let's face it. Say you move to London. Like mm. when I moved to London for the first time uh, after university, I'd lived in the Northeast and Essex. I'd never lived in London. I knew nothing about living in London. Um, I ended up in North London for no other reason than the person I was sharing a flat with at the time decided that we were going to live in this particular bit of London. And I just went, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> but actually it would be quite useful when moving to a new city perhaps to have the opportunity to talk to someone and normally it's like family friends isn't it or your parents like my mum gave me the worst advice um which was don't live south of the river because you've got to cross the thames which is one of the most random bits of advice anyone's ever going to give you because it's not like you have to (laughs) physically think about it get a canal not a canal canoe (laughs) yeah my mum's my mum's 66 it's like I'm pretty sure London in the 70s and yeah the 60s and 70s wasn't that backward but no don't don't live south of the river you got across the Thames that was her advice which I think could probably do with an update I agree there are these things called bridges now (laughs) lots of them as well amazing yeah but I love this idea that you know we've got these and it kind of feeds into that we've got these ideas about what a place might be like and maybe they're based on outdated notions or and especially with universities where there's a reputation to a university but it might not actually accurately reflect what going to that university now is really like yeah exactly because everything looks amazing online even if something's got bad reviews it's still they can still make it look incredible and you don't really get that real feel of what something is like so like where where people are actually able to learn from people's shared experiences and actually speak to, to students it's a lot more genuine isn't it i like yeah. it i think you you it would be it's positive i like it and you know whereas i like your point about professional situations actually because whereas with universities when i when i was applying for university obviously you, you had your open days so you could go to the campus and have a look around obviously during the pandemic and whatever else that might not be possible or if, if you're an international student you might not have the finances to be able to decide right well i want to go and have a look at three different universities in the uk and i live in south africa so i'm going to go visit them not feasible mm. equally in a, in a work context whereas you know if you were applying for a job at the harvey nash group um 18 months ago you would have gone in for an interview in person and seen the office and had a walk around and at least got a bit of a feel for it yeah now that's not possible and even post pandemic when you might not be so gung-ho about inviting people in for interviews necessarily and even if you do get invited in you may only find that there's a handful of people in the office for whatever reason. So you're not going to get a real sense of what that company's like. So being able to talk to someone at that organization could actually be a real benefit. A hundred percent. And there's not, you like, this is the thing with like Glassdoor. You can see reviews, there's some savage reviews, and then there's some really, really positive ones. And actually being able to just you know, ask, there might be something that you're thinking, oh, it's not on the job spec. And I just really wonder what, what, if they do this, because that would be, that would be cool. Or, or, or I don't know if I would, I would like that. And just being able to just contact it. And then I guess people would argue and be like, well, that's what LinkedIn's for. But 
do you really ever think, oh, you know, I'm looking for a new job. I'm mm. going to email someone in that team and ask, do they do this? You just don't do it. I think some people might, but I don't know. They wouldn't really, you know. So it's, I yeah. think it's good. It's a platform for that specifically. And, you know, if you think about universities, which obviously university's built for, um, it comes at a point in life for most people, unless you're a mature student, where it's not easy to know what you want when you're 18 years old and you're leaving home for the first time and mm. you're thinking about the course, but actually university is a huge amount more than just the course that you apply for. There's so many different um, aspects to going to university to consider. Um, so yeah, I, I look, I, I think university is absolutely fantastic. It's a great idea, I think the other 100%. Thing, yeah. I think the other thing that comes through this really strongly and, and positively for the UK is the fact that Kim Shan is South African and chose to come and study in the UK. I know, definitely. And also, amazing, he's in his position. And you said, like I say, it was his first time, his first position and it was doing this right and I love how he's just like he's just kind of experimenting learning from his mistakes along the way it's not a one-size-fits-all to kind of just go in with it I just love it it's great advice for anyone looking to kind of start something you know so just kind of you don't have to know everything to start up something like this no I think if you've got passion you've got an idea and obviously you know he he had that experience himself when he was looking to go to UCL uh, and wouldn't it have been great to be able to talk to someone and, and the idea that he's had with his co-founder? But then at the same point in time, I think it's worth remembering for a lot of uh, startups that whilst you can have the passion and the energy, and uh, this is not reflective, by the way, of anybody, but it's, it can be really helpful as well, inviting in someone to your board or uh, you know, as a CEO or possibly getting a chairman on board who's got a few more gray hairs and possibly has been through several uh, organizations who've gone through growth and scale nonetheless, because- Mm-hmm. yeah you have got first time founders and it can go well but having that experience of, of someone a little bit older who's been there and, and, and done that um and got the t-shirt is is invaluable at the same time mm-hmm. yeah no absolutely um i think i've suggested a really good business proposition in this conversation about the glass door doing it or no about like <laughs> not glass door about doing like starting your own thing so Kim Shan, if I'm here if you want to, you know. Instead, instead of unibody, instead of unibody, work buddy. Yeah, work buddy, exactly. And you know, I, I'll race you to the idea. <laughs> also, Dave, I've got to say it. I hope you've got your SPF on in that sun. I know. Well, it's a podcast, so no one will know what you're on about. But I yeah. have got the sun glaring through the window. This is why I need to go and sort out a desk in the back room because in the evenings, this is what I get. Anyway. This is great audio content. Off topic, but it is gleaming in his face. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I need to get some curtains, but I wouldn't really want to draw them. Anyway, uh, look, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about city job titles. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear, Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They've started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. 
You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Right, as you know, I am the Harvey Nash Group Technology Evangelist, which my mates have taken the piss out of me, uh, of me royally for, because it is a bit of a, an American wanky job title. But have you seen the news today? Have you seen what Elon Musk has decided to call himself? No. Elon Musk is now the self-job-titled techno-king. Okay. I love the eyebrows. <laughs> techno-king. Yes. Or is he listening to and techno not, music? Yeah, I knew you were going to go there with that. No, no, it's not. It's not related to Tech, dance music. No, like as in K N O W, like the no of techno, all, like yeah. techno technology, tech techno king. Quite all right, it's inventive. I like it. He's very inventive it is, as yeah. a person. I guess it makes sense. Here's, your, here's your the techno title. king. He is the techno king of the electric car manufacturer, um, Tesla. In addition, whilst he's also retained his position as chief exec, the chief com- the, sorry, the company's chief finance officer, um, Zach Kirkhorn, has been rebranded as Master of Coin. <laughs> oh, I'm going to start suggesting us making our own our own names up. I would like. Well, to this be is this is why I mentioned it because like, <laughs> recruitment legend job title recruitment legend. Yeah. Senior Vice President Recruitment Legend. <laughs> Yours sounds like I mean, a guitarist, an evangelist. I don't know why. Whenever that word says, I always just imagine someone with a little guitar. A little guitar? All <laughs> oh, right. Okay. A little one. one. Are they called a banjo? Cool. Well, a ukulele. Oh, a ukulele. That's it. <laughs> evangelist ukulele. You can see it going. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more like the edge and thinking, all right, at least it's kind of got retro cool for the 80s, but no, uh, uh, a ukulele. Thanks, Hayley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, look, it's, it's it's slightly bonkers behaviour, but the um, apparently the master of coin is a nod to the fact that Tesla have invested one billion um, or one point five billion dollars, one billion pounds into Bitcoin. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, Musk is now techno king. Um, so there you go. I, I'd be really interested if anyone's listening to find out what job titles they'd like to rebrand themselves as. As we know, Haley is Haley is now the vice president recruitment legend. Yeah, that was just off. The, that was a quick thinking one. I'd, I'd like you to go and chat to your manager and just see if you can change your uh, LinkedIn to that, just for, a, for at least for a couple of hours. It'd be great. VP recruitment legend. Let's see what happens. Uh, look, thank you for joining me on today's show. Uh, Uh, We'll be back later in the week. Hayley, enjoy the rest of your Monday.